RadioInfluence.com. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Live Bold and Boss Up. It's your girls, Steph and Ash, and we've got a great episode for you. So Steph and I were over in Orlando for Synapse Live, and there are so many awesome like startup companies, companies that have been in business for a while that are just doing like really cool, new, innovative stuff that helps you both professionally and personally and the world like um, ozone layer and all this stuff. There's so many things that you can get into here. And there's so many people, right. That are like passionate about what they do. It's really cool. Wide variety of Right. Mm -hmm. It was like really cool. It was electric. It was buzzing. Mm -hmm. I think it helped because the building we were in was all open. What, what was that building? It was like Dr. Phillips performing arts center. Yes. That building, if you haven't been in that performing arts center building, it's all open in the core when you're out in the lobby area. So you can go up to the fourth floor, but you can look down and see the first floor. So you can see everybody moving and buzzing about and like having great conversations. And I think it just like helped the mood. Yeah. Right. Right. No, also, if you listen, you can hear all the people buzzing and you can, <laughs> you can. So forgive the audio because it's live. There's people walking around. There's like other conversations happening too. But you can definitely feel the energy. Yeah, I love it. And we talked to so many people that we broke it up into two different episodes. So we have three speakers in each of these episodes. Um, really amazing people. Like, for example, in today's podcast, we have Pete Chu. He's over at Accenture and he's the innovation lead for talent. So that just in and of itself says enough. I mean, he was great to talk to. And then we chat with Nisha Bryce. She is so well-spoken. I think we could talk to her all day long. She's with the Orlando Economic Partnership and she focuses on the strategic investment and impact. So she directs all of that. She really, I think, had a lot of things to say and add. She was also one of the speakers in um, one of the side panels going on throughout the day. And then we also speak with Gabrielle Azambuja. I know. Buha. Buha. I'm sorry, Gabrielle. We literally have said that her name like 700 times. Right. And she's amazing and beautiful like I I was staring at her the whole time beautiful individual both outside and inside she um has an awesome app that she um and the team developed so we'll go into that you know later really cool and exciting Mm -hmm. so we'll we'll let you get to our conversation with Pete Chu now and we'll jump in later later We have Pete Chu with us here live at Synapse Orlando. Thank you so much. And Pete, you're with Accenture, correct? Yeah, that's great. It's, uh, sorry, getting my mic set. Uh, (laughs) It's great to be here. And uh, no, appreciate you having me on. 
So tell us what you do at Accenture. Sure. So uh, so I'm a managing director at Accenture. I've been here just 15 years. I just celebrated my 15 year oh, anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I think that's a rarity these days. <laughs> um, but I've been lucky in my career to have a number of different roles. I worked a little bit in our technology organization. I've done management consulting. I've started innovation teams at Accenture. Um, my job right now, I have the privilege to work in our talent and organizational change strategy practice. And at the end of the day, what that really means is that we work with clients to help them understand, you know, how are they going to get the talent and the skills that they need to stay competitive in the future? Um, and also, how do they really re need to rethink their organizational culture, the mindsets and behaviors that, that we all know ultimately drives like the reality of working for a company, not just right. what the company says that they're about. Right. I feel like that is a big topic of the day and not even of the day, but of the of the year of the century, really, yeah. because how do companies attract and retain talent? And I feel like Accenture is so good at, at new technologies and being innovative. What are some new innovations or technologies that that you're recommending or that you're seeing out there to help with that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'll answer it a little bit obliquely in the sense that I think the technologies that are available today are truly amazing. A really great friend of mine likes to say, like, we live in this time of magic where anything is possible. But I think because almost anything is possible with the technologies available to us, especially large companies, it's actually put a higher premium, not on doing more with more technology, but figuring out, like, how are we imbuing humanity and a sense of, like, sensitivity and empathy to the technologies that we deploy? Because candidly, like, we've all had those experiences where there's yet another tool, yet another another platform, another thing we have to learn, and we kind of fatigue out, right? Like it almost feels like it's it's very overwhelming. So with a lot of the, the clients that I work with, as well as my own experience in Accenture, I think some of the best work has actually come out of thinking through what's the human experience, what's the value in people's like day-to-day -day lives and the way they work? How are we trying to positively influence that? And then secondarily, let's ask the question, okay, well now we've got an entire like toy chest of incredible technologies that can help deliver that experience in a way that we never thought was possible before. And so for us at Accenture, we've onboarded a significant uh, portion of our current employee population just in the last two years. You may have noticed the world was a pretty rough place those last two years. Uh, it was very difficult. A lot of our historical onboarding happened in physical offices. That's where you build that personal connection. Right. And we couldn't do that anymore. So when we reinvented Accenture's new joiner experience, you know, we looked at a lot of technologies, but really every step of the end-to-end -end experience was thought of. And we really thought about the best way to deliver that experience. And sometimes, I'll pick on one, filling out paperwork. The metaverse is not my favorite place to fill out paperwork. <laughs> and so there's some things that you still submit forms and do these other things, but it's all seamless and connected. The big thing that we were missing though is when you're sitting in your home office, um, you miss that kind of casual sense of connection. Like I just walked up to the two of y'all here and we we're just able to start a conversation. Mm -hmm. So when we deployed uh, virtual reality headsets, we deployed Oculus kits uh, to a large number of our new joiners. It wasn't because we wanted to do every single thing about onboarding in the metaverse. What we said is those special moments where we're all together in physical space that we can't do right now. How do we deliver on some of those moments and experiences in virtual space? And you saw people playing games and you saw people forming these small pods where they could only hear one another. Like that was the magic. And now that we're partially, largely getting back into some degree of work in offices, travel to our clients, 
I think we're going to have to reinvent again or rethink what's most meaningful to them uh, as we go forward. Right. Oh, that's amazing. And you were saying before that you even work with psychologists that you have on board mm. to really make sure that you're making that human connection mm. and keep really keeping those employees happy and connected. Yeah, it's... Um, I mean, working in, in the consulting and strategy industry has been interesting because there's a lot in the business landscape where we're looking for precedents, right? Like we're looking for the benchmarks or the frameworks that will sort of communicate where to head next. Um, and in a lot of cases in the space that I work in around talent and organizational change, uh, we're very, very lucky both through our partnerships, but also just in the broader public sphere to have access now to decades of scientific research and research coming out of academia that communicates really important things actually about how human beings psychologically and behaviorally uh, navigate change, what things promote adoption, what things ultimately lead also to high performance. There's a temptation to think these are kind of soft and fuzzy con uh, concepts but in reality, they actually drive a lot of uh, effectiveness in business outcomes. And so just to give you one example, um, we have a, a company that we acquired last year called Fable Plus. Uh, their specialization and focus is really around psychological safety and how it drives uh, team effectiveness, right? And psychological safety is a concept pioneered by Dr. Amy Edmondson and by a significant portion of Harvard research, which is simple on the surface. It's the idea that you can fully participate in your team and organization without fear of reprisal or negative repercussions. Sounds simple, right? But how many of us have worked in an environment where you hold that great idea back or you hold a little bit of yourself or that contribution back because you're afraid you'll look silly or you're right, afraid like yes. your idea will get stepped on. Um, and what these teams have done is that they've taken the scientific and academic research that's available and built it into tools that allow us to measure the actual psychological safety of a team. And we use those resources with clients, with leadership teams, with delivery teams. And what's really interesting about that is we know from the research it's actually really hard just to say, oh, we're a psychologically safe team. Any one of us can contribute. Anyone can say that. But if you weren't a psychologically safe team, you would never know because people would be afraid to tell you. Yeah, so right. I view that as a really important joinder in the behavioral science space where we don't have to build it from scratch or pretend like it's brand new because we have all these new technologies. We can stand on the shoulders of giants and take some of the incredible work in the academic research space and take what researchers have learned about human nature and behavior and apply it to business problems, which ultimately is about helping our clients create more value. That's amazing. How does that, can you go into that a little bit deeper and how that works? Because I'm envisioning like maybe a test or something that, that you're having the employees take to, to understand if they do feel safe or... Yeah, there's, um, so we, we do have a diagnostic. Uh, it's an evidence-based tool. Um, I would argue, so the tool is important because it's about collecting data in an objective way. And it also allows us to benchmark teams uh, according to these different attributes around psychological safety and intrinsic motivation that are very, very research-backed. At the same time, while the tool is important, and this gets back to this broader theme of like technology plus human beings, what I would argue is really special about this company and these teams that work in this space is, all right, so what happens after you take the test? What are you going to do? Right, exactly. It's really easy to roll out a diagnostic or a survey. There's a lot of companies that right. are measuring Everybody does surveys. Everyone does that, right? You get the <laughs> data back and you're like, okay, now what? Yeah, we took a survey. We did good, but it doesn't feel good. Or we did poorly and now we don't know what to do. Right. And so, 
I would argue um, in the same way that y'all are deeply invested in professional development, it's really now this human and relationship-based element to say, how do we facilitate this team? They've given, we have an objective truth around the current state of the team and how they work together and feel today. But I think the magic ultimately, whether it's us or whether it's the clients internally, what's the, what's the deliberative process that they're gonna go through to really think through how they can tackle and experiment and find ways to address concerns that the team members have clearly demonstrated? And then to me, it's very, it's long-term, right? The worst thing you can do is run a diagnostic that surfaces a bunch of issues and then not follow through on that commitment. Right. And so what gives me a lot of energy in my work is when I see a leader who may very well feel uncomfortable with the results, but who's truly committed to improving those outcomes for their people, like that's where, that's where the most meaningful work for us happens. And it's a privilege to get to work with some of these leadership teams and companies not just over a couple of weeks, but sometimes over many months and years, see them grow as leaders, and just as importantly, see the growth that their teams go through, because um, that's ultimately what we're what we're in pursuit. Right. Okay. Random question for sure. you. So, so Accenture has traditionally been 100% remote, but you guys are starting to come back into the office. Is that correct? Um, well, I'd say or we've always you? been a little bit distributed. When okay. I was growing up as a, as a baby consultant, you know, we used to have what was called a three, four, five schedule. So uh -huh. you spend three nights on the road, uh, you spend four days at your client site, and then the fifth day, you're usually at home or you're in an Accenture office, right? So. Okay. It was, to your point, quite a bit of full-time travel. That really depends on the, the part of the business that you're in. Okay. Um, at the same time now, I mean, we're a client, we're client services business. So I have clients who would really like for our teams to be on site with them more frequently. In those cases, you know, it is a little bit more like the old model. We also have clients where the problems that we're working on, so think about things that are happening in manufacturing plants or in retail stores. I mean, you can't observe and do the work that you need to do outside of those spaces. So we also have teams that have been doing some form of travel or on-site work throughout COVID as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the future you know, is very much around how do we create uh, and provide some of the flexibility and support because we recognize people's lives and work have changed. Our chief HR officer, uh, Ellen Shook, has kind of famously sort of set our policy to be, um, we want to earn your commute. So that mantra is really big in our organization. It's not, you must be in the office this many days or here's the official policy. The idea is there are meaningful things that happen when we're in person together and there are meaningful things that happen in person with clients and that's the core of our business, teams and clients. Um, but at the same time, you know, we need to make sure that the organization as an employer is providing the benefits and the value proposition to employees so that they feel incented to come in. And that that's the balance I think we and most companies are working through right now. That is a great way to put it into words and to look at it. I love that because we deal with companies all over as well. And um, some of them are like, no, you have to come on site. That's just our policy. But like, word it differently or like, you right, know, like. Right. Yeah. Or some clients, they're 100% remote. And I just, I'm wondering with all of your your um, data points, right, and, and talking to your psychologists, and what does that do to, to someone's psyche or to their just overall commitment to the organization when you're 100% remote? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we have to be sensitive to the fact that, um, you know, even though it sort of feels like in the language we're talking about what things look like, quote, after COVID, the reality is there's been an enormous shared global trauma and we know in the reporting data that 
incidence rates of mental health issues, challenges that people feel. Um, Gallup released their State of the Global Workforce very recently for 2022. And a significant number of employees um, describe extraordinary feelings of frustration, emotional pain. Um, people are struggling in a lot of ways. And so we have to remind ourselves that that's the human, emotional, psychological backdrop. Uh, it's not just people who get to work from home. It's people who are working through many challenges across life and work um, and are still living with the repercussions and consequences of that. So that's our starting point of, of human empathy. I think the second piece of this, though, then is, all right, so now how has the dynamic actually between employees and employers changed or employees and their managers? Microsoft released uh, a fantastic piece recently uh, around this idea that if you ask employees whether they feel fully productive while they're working remotely, 87% of employees will tell you that they feel pretty productive. Right. But it's something like less than 20% of supervisors feel as confident that their people are fully effective while remote. And so I think of that as actually uh, a gap that we have to work through as organizations right. and as people working for our clients. The truth has to lie somewhere in between. And so a big part of the guidance, I think, for all companies right now is, you know, seek to be as transparent and, and clear with your employees as possible around the reasons that you think being in person really matters, where it makes the difference. Right. You can set any range of policies, but if employees don't feel bought into the rationale, then you're going to really struggle to get them in. And we know, um, you know, it's been a candidate's market for the past year, and so we have to be sensitive to that. Um, and then last reaction to, to what you said as well is I think there's some preconceptions that, you know, the incoming generation of talent, so the folks that are joining my organization who have, you know, were born in 2000 or later now, you know, this feeling that uh, perhaps they want more so than even previous generational cohorts to have flexibility and all these other things. But we also see from the Microsoft study that actually the youngest generation are among the ones who report the highest desire to get back into office and physical spaces because they are looking for human connection. They are looking for coaching and professional development. And so I think we're all sort of sifting through the data right now, but none of it allows you to get away from the fundamental fact that people still value human connection. Right. And we have to think through the best possible way to deliver that. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there because I think, yes, employees are 100% very effective working from home, but that's just it. They're doing their job only. And yes, they're getting it done, but then it takes you coming into the office or it takes that human connection and interaction to actually go beyond and have that job enrichment and learn those stretch projects and everything like that. Yeah, it's um, and it's it's no it's not a one size fits all. I mean, I described the model that was so well understood in consulting that it had a name. I think we're seeing the proliferation of new models, new archetypes. I work with some teams who are trying to say, you know, even on a project to project basis, let's set some common expectations and set some norms for ourselves. I think, you know, for the managers and leaders that are out there, I really do think it's an expectations game, right? The more that you can be communicative, the more that you can include the voices of your employees to set, you know, some clear expectations for the team, the better. We can't really make as easy the assumption that it's going to work kind of the in the standard way that it has in the past. Right. Um, and you know, it's 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 really challenging. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, it's yeah. No you've way got your work it. cut out for you for sure. <laughs> But well, thank you. This was amazing. Yes. yes. Thank, thank you, you so Pichu. much, Pete. Oh, such a pleasure. Um, you know, best of luck to you both and really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Well, obviously you can tell that Pete has been doing what he does for over 15 years. That was so yeah, much he is great, great information. Yes. Very innovative. And Accenture, we know, has like the latest and greatest technologies with the whole metaverse and all right. that. So 
Very cool stuff. Yes. So up next, we talk to Nisha Bryce. Um, like I said before, she's with the Orlando Economic Partnership, and she directs all of the like the strategic investment and impact. And I, I love hearing her talk. Like I said before, I feel like I can listen to her talk forever. Right. And she gives us tips on, on finding the right candidates in today's competitive job market. So, I mean, something that everyone's talking about and, um, you know, I think everyone could benefit from. All right. We have Nisha Bryce here with us live at Synapse Orlando. Thanks, Hi. Nisha. Thank you for having me. How are y'all? Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you for joining after your panel yeah, discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like you got me at a good time because I'm like all fired up. So, <laughs> well, so on the panel, you talked about building the dream team. What exactly does that mean and how do you do that? Oh, it's essentially finding quality talent and um, attracting the right talent, building them, developing them, and making sure that they're invested in the work that you do. So a lot of what I do at the Orlando Economic Partnership is skills development, working with educators or education institutions and business leaders to reimagine their workforce practices. So I do that and then I do a lot of work in kind of the social impact, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, really that inclusive economic growth. So you've heard a little bit of how to attract diverse talent, how to keep uh, diverse talent engaged in the work. So um, it's really fun stuff. That's awesome. You were mentioning something about how to describe the job that you're trying to look for, trying to fill. You were look. You were talking about like the the titles that were like maybe misaligning the titles when we're looking for someone and the skills. We're listing like way too many skills. Can you talk? about that a little bit for our listeners because yeah. I thought that was so valid. Yeah, so uh, as an economic development organization, we have to kind of be on the cutting edge of making sure that our workforce is capable of taking advantage of the opportunities that are here. So we've changed from looking at just occupations or job titles to focusing on skills, right? Those competencies that are needed to uh, do the job and do the job successfully. So when we approach things, we always start with that job description, right? And then we're looking at what is required, keeping that job description very minimal, right? We don't want 20, 30 different bullet points of this unicorn of a person that we're looking for and then throwing a creative title that doesn't really align or make sense to the, the person that you're trying to attract. So being very clear and concise, the ability to do something for what outcome so that they can see themselves in that position. So everything is about skills mapping, looking at competencies, looking at your skills gaps, and then making sure that we're creating upward mobility pathways for folks because that's what we need. Our workforce, like, I mean, when we're competing with other countries, especially in tech and innovation, we need to think differently, creatively, and tapping into areas that traditionally have been overlooked. That is so great. And I love, really quick, your comment on the job description. Some companies just have a generic job description and they keep using it over and over and over, but like each role is so unique that they should be tailoring those descriptions for each position, right? Yeah, and for what they're looking for, right? So I kind of mentioned this before we got on here. We did a lot of work in cybersecurity, but um, cybersecurity touches every single industry, right? Disney, largest uh, um, 
employer here in the region that's hiring cybersecurity professionals. And in your mind, you're like, Disney? Wouldn't you think it's like Lockheed Martin or whatnot? Yes, they are too. But those professions uh, for these the different companies look differently. So being able to kind of be very targeted, okay, like, okay, this is what I'm looking for. This is the, the skill sets. Okay, this is these are the resources and the capacity that I have to train up and everything like that. So we really do focus on the job description and we always tell our employers, start with that one hard to find, hard to fill job, focus on the competencies, take away unnecessary, unnecessary credentials, right? Or 10 years of experience, but yet you're looking for somebody who's a millennial or whatnot. You're attracted, like you have to think about these things. And I think that's what traditional practices are starting to reveal is like, it's not working for this ever-changing landscape. Um, and again, I keep coming back to tech and innovation. The amount of dollars being invested in this industry, I mean, we uh, Osceola County just got awarded the Build Back Better grant, really focused on chip manufacturing and se semiconductor. 75% of that is done outside of the U.S., right? And so now we're having to bring those jobs here. Well, we weren't planting the seeds for that talent yet. So how are we doing that? How are we attracting them and focusing on skills for the work uh, uh, for the future? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, you mentioned something that was near and dear to, to my heart, right? When we when we work at NextPath and bringing on people, whether it's for our clients or for us, and you mentioned something about like really being, um, really being present and aware, like once you've made that offer, right, to that candidate, to the time they start, like really connecting with them and keeping that onboarding process, not only until they start, but then right after, after yeah. they start. Uh, so something that I learned through the work that I've done, and it's just like there should be a continuous onboarding cycle, right? You should, like once that entry level person comes in and they kind of learn the culture, the cadence of your organization, and they do really well at that job, but then you're, um, you're wanting to promote them, there needs to be another onboarding, right? They might do really well, and I, I always refer to the Peter principle, right? They do really well at this position and then they get hired, and then they're being challenged to use their skill sets in a different way or um, there's like maybe a skills gap. It's like, oh, they've never worked on a project in this way and they're having to learn how to do it. If you're not continually pouring into them and training them and, and um, having them know what the expectations are, at some point they're going to get disengaged and then they're, you're going to feel like, oh, they don't know what they're doing when really it was your issue to begin with. Like you're just hiring them based on kind of where they were at. So I'm a big, big push for like job enrichment, special projects that are outside of their job descriptions to add those skill sets and so that they can, you know, go into a new position, especially if it's upward confidently and know what they are doing instead of throwing them out in water and hoping that they'll swim. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Nisha, for Thank being on so today. Much. This has been Thank you great. for having me. This is great. <laughs> Okay, so you heard Nisha Bryce, and now we chat with Gabrielle Azambuja. I got it right. She is with a company that is brand new. They just started, and this just gives you a little taste of what's possible, what you can do, what's out there. Um, she'll chat a little bit about what she does, but it's a really cool app that allows you to purchase like 
apps or a drink or whatever for your friend or for a stranger. If you want to do something nice for someone right there in the restaurant. Right. Um, and I was like, why didn't we think of this? Right. Like with all the like bachelorette parties and girls get togethers or client dinners and say you can't make it, you can order something from this Opalink app and have a, their drinks sent to them or a bottle or some apps sent right to their table just through this app. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay, we are back with another guest here at Synapse. Hi. And we have Gabrielle, say your last name for me. Yes, Gabrielle Azambuja. It's a beautiful Portuguese so last nice name. So nice to meet you. So nice to meet you. Please share with our listeners the company that you guys are creating right now. Okay, so I am with Opalink app and basically we are a mobile gifting app here ba Orlando based that allows users to send food and drink items to friends and family at restaurants. So what you'll be able to do is check into any restaurant here in Orlando and be able to, if it's your friend's birthday and you can't make it, just send them a bottle through the app and that's how it works. It's a fun and sexy experience. And that's how it is. No, what and, a great idea. Right? And sh you were even mentioning to me earlier is sometimes it's uncomfortable for people when you're out at the bar or out at a restaurant and someone wants to pay or maybe the other person, they both want to pay and it's kind of uncomfortable. So you can actually go through this and Yeah, so currently, currently we're about 500 users and we're about two weeks active and $4,000 was raised about last this past weekend for the application, so. That's amazing, We were only at one location, it's called the Yola Lounge, and if you download the app today, we'll send you a complimentary gift and you'll be able to redeem it. Nice. Awesome, thank, thank you so you much, so Gabby. much. That was yeah, and good luck being here and growing your business. Yes, of course, I'm happy to be here. Hope you guys enjoyed all of that electricity. I loved the energy in that. Yeah, me too. It was it was so much fun. We love live events. And until next time, live, live bold and boss up. up.